Welcome to a special edition of Making the Call. Uh, you're getting a, a second episode this week. We don't normally do this, but uh, I'm hopping on for a quick solo podcast to break down the Mavs' uh, very active trade deadline. Uh, they made really two big moves. Um, I'll go through, go through it all. Uh, we've got new additions coming in, PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford. I'll break those down, uh, give my instant reactions to them, and then we'll be covering them more in depth uh, on next ep- next week's episode uh, with Alex. Uh, him and I will be on to to break down uh, the full Mavs trade deadline. Kind of, you know, have have a few days to digest it, and and we'll be talking about a lot more. But I wanted to hop on real quick to give you my instant reactions. So, full recap for the Mavs trade deadline. Uh, really, it was three transactions, and then I'll summarize it here for you. So first was a 2028 first-round pick swap with Oklahoma City in exchange for the second best, or I'm sorry, the second least 2024 first from OKC. So Oklahoma City has a ton of 2024 first-round picks. Whichever one is the second worst will be going to the Mavericks, but not actually going to the Mavericks because they did that pick swap, took the first-round pick in return, Package that with, with uh, Rashawn Holmes, and that is going to Washington for Daniel Gafford, backup center. Uh, and then the second big transaction, the really big one, was uh, Dallas's 2027 top two protected first round pick, Grant Williams and Seth Curry to Charlotte for PJ Washington and two second round picks. So to summarize, coming in, we've got PJ Washington, Daniel Gafford, two second round picks from Charlotte, and technically a 2028 first round pick swap. With Oklahoma City, you could say that's coming in. It's really it's going out uh, because whichever of the two picks between Dallas and Oklahoma City in 2028, the best one will go to the Thunder. The worst one will stay with Dallas. Uh, assets going out, Grant Williams, Seth Curry, Rashawn Holmes, and a 2027 top two protected first round pick from the Mavericks. Okay, main reaction here, and then I'll get into you know, breaking down PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford. The Mavs have a complete roster for the first time in Luca's career. No, that's not being hyperbolic. You might be saying, well, Andrew, two years ago, the Mavs made the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I know. Uh, the Mavs were not a complete roster. Go back and, and watch those, those Conference Finals games against uh, Golden State and Kevon Looney looked like he was prime Shaq. I mean, he was grabbing every single rebound. We didn't have anyone who could rebound. We didn't have anyone who could protect the rim. Uh, Andrew Wiggins and Looney feasted at the rim against against us. So, uh, yes, they made it to the Western Conference Finals. They were not a complete team. Uh, they are now a complete roster. And you might say, you know, that's not this is this is not to say the Mavs now have the best roster in the NBA. It's not the case. But the Mavs have a complete roster in the sense that. They don't have a glaring hole. They don't have a glaring weakness. They've got depth at every position. They've got safety valves. They've they got better. Um, here's a new playoff rotation with these new additions of PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford. So the guards, you've got Luca and Kyrie, and then you've got Tim Hardaway Jr. and you've got Josh Green. Josh Green is you know shooting guard, small forward. You can pick and sometimes he plays like a guard, sometimes he plays like a wing. Uh, but he's listed as a shooting guard, so we'll put him as a shooting guard. You've, your wings, you've got P.J. Washington, Derek Jones Jr., Dante Exum, and Maxi Kleba. And then at the center position, you've got Derek Lively and Daniel Gafford. Now that is 10 deep 
You don't normally play 10 people in the playoffs. The reason I list out those 10 is because if you look at Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Green, PJ Washington, well, let's, yeah, okay. So Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Green, PJ Washington, Derek Jones Jr., Dante Exum, Maxi Kleba, and Daniel, Daniel Gafford. We've got the next 40 games, essentially, to figure out who of those players can play in the playoffs. Jason Kidd's going to have the next 40 games to mess with the rotations, to throw different lineups out there. Hopefully, if everyone's healthy, you really get to see you know a good sample size of all these players. Uh, but that's what the back half of the season is going to be for, is looking at the, the full roster and figuring out who of these guys can play in the playoffs. One of the ways I think the Mavs really got better, aside from the fact that now I think they're a complete roster, is they are long. Like the, 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 the wingspan, the length, the versatility on this team now is unbelievable. So Josh Green, if you say he's a wing, uh, he's your smallest wing. He's 6'5". He's got a wingspan of 6'10". Derek Jones Jr. is 6'6 with a wingspan of 7 foot. Dante Axum is 6'6 with a wingspan of 6'9. Maxi Kleba is 6'9 with a wingspan of 6'11. PJ Washington, newest addition, 6'8 with a wingspan of 7'2. I mean, the dude's knuckles practically drag on the on the ground whenever he walks because his wingspan is so long. And then at the center position, you've got Derek Lively, who's seven foot one with a wingspan of seven eight, which is just ridiculous. And then Daniel Gafford, the other new addition, six eleven with a wingspan of seven foot two. So if you look at, you know, okay, and I didn't I didn't list off Tim Hardaway Jr.'s wingspan because I don't really he's not a good defender. It's not worth mentioning. But if you think of your two top guards of Luca and Kyrie, you have now surrounded them with length at every other position, length on the perimeter. Length on the inside, which is what you need because Luca has been a better defender, but Luca and Kyrie, you don't need them exerting all their energy on defense. You need them on the offensive end. So now you've got a ton of wing defenders that you can throw out the other team. Josh Green, PJ Washington, Derek Jones Jr., Dante Axa, Maxi Kleba. You've got two legit rim protectors to play inside with Derek Lively and Daniel Gafford. The Mavs are long. The Mavs, the Mavs can defend better than they could 24 hours ago. And they have a better supporting cast around Luka and Kyrie. And they have depth. That's the key here. Because the Mavs are one of, I believe they're one of three teams that have yet to have a five-man rotation play at least 100 minutes. And it's the Mavs, it's the Charlotte Hornets, and it's the Memphis Grizzlies. The Mavs have not had consistent health on their roster all season. Now you have depth. You're basically replacing Grant Williams with PJ Washington, which is a huge upgrade. You got rid of Rashawn Holmes and Seth Curry, who weren't playing for Daniel Gafford, who will play. Daniel Gafford will play 20 minutes a night, 15, 20 minutes a night. Basically, anytime Lively is not on the floor, Gafford will be on the floor. All right, let's get into these two players here. PJ Washington, we'll start with him. So, uh, the key thing here is both Washington and Gafford, they've got two years left on their contracts after this one. So these are not rentals. These are not expiring deals. They're not even one year away from being an expiring deal. Both of these guys have two years on their contract after this season. That's important. That is 
they they are on good they are on good contracts. It's decent salaries, um, easy to be moved if we need to later on. But these are not expensive guys. It's not like the Mavs went and traded for Andrew Wiggins, who's going to be owed thirty million a year for the next three seasons or whatever it is. So PJ Washington. So far, uh, so far this season, thirteen point six points, five point three rebounds, two point two assists per game. His splits, his shooting splits, forty four point six percent from the field, thirty two point four percent from three. 71.3% from the free throw line is 11.6 field goal attempts per game. Uh, of those 11.6, they're basically split half and half, uh, between at the rim and at the three point line. Uh, when I say at the rim, it's eight feet or less. So not dunks, but you know, you're basically restricted area inside, maybe a little bit further, eight feet or less half the time, the other half of the time, um, shooting threes. He has maybe about one or two attempts a game. Uh, that are more in the mid-range area, but predominantly it's at the rim, at the three-point line. Uh, one of the biggest ways he's an upgrade over Grant, Grant Williams, because you look at that three-point percentage, you say, okay, 32% from three. That's not great. That's not, you know, it's not like he's he's 37, 38, getting close to 40%. Um, it's That's kind of a an average three-point percentage, but where he is better is he is a more dynamic scorer. He can score off the dribble. He can create his own shot. He can score at the rim. Grant Williams was basically three-point shot or nothing. And here's a uh, here's an example for you. P.J. Washington, 41% of his field goal attempts are catch and shoot compared to 63% for Grant Williams. So over half of Grant Williams' field goal attempts are just catch and shoot. He's not even putting the ball on the court. P.J. Washington is only 41%. Uh, I mentioned that PJ Washington has more of a threat at the rim. He's got 5.2 field goal attempts, 10 feet or less compared to 1.8 field goal attempts for Grant Williams. Grant Williams is really not shooting the ball. If it's not a three point line, that's not the case for PJ Washington. Conclusion. He's just, he's a much more dynamic scorer. He's also a better defender. I mean, if you were watching any Mavs games this season, like I've been Grant Williams was, is not impressed on the defensive end. Um, and I'll kind of, I'll talk about Grant Williams more specifically as we kind of wrap up this episode, but I want to really focus on the new additions, PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford and Washington. If he's, if you're upgrading or if you're replacing Grant Williams minutes with PJ Washington, you are a better basketball team. Washington is bigger. He's longer and he is more talented on the offensive end and he is more equipped on the defensive end because of that long wingspan. He's not going to, he's, he's going to have more block shots. He's going to have more contested shots. He's going to make life more difficult for the opposing team, which is not something Grant Williams was doing in his short time here in Dallas. All right, Daniel Gaffer. Let's talk about the other new addition. Perfect backup big. I mean, he's not going to start. You have Derek Lively, but he is the perfect Backup big. I mentioned his measurables earlier. What it, let me scroll back up and see that. Yeah, 6'11 with a wingspan of seven foot two. Uh, his stats this season 10.9 points, eight rebounds a game on 26 and a half minutes per game. Uh, also logs one steal and 2.2 blocks per game. So decent backup big numbers, right? Eight rebounds. Love to see that. Um, here's what I think is really cool he is eighth in the NBA this season in dunks with 94 dunks on the season. Lively is seventh with 97. So they are literally on top of each other. And the Mavs now have two 
players that are top 10 in dunks. And I believe they are the only team in the NBA who can say that, who have two players in the top 10 on dunks. Um, another huge thing, another, another thing that I believe was a big motivation for them trading for Gafford is his durability. Because I mentioned how the Mavs just have not, they've, they haven't been healthy. They've been one of the least healthy teams uh, this year. And I'm trying to pull it up here real quick. So if we look at, um, here, I'll find it here as I'm talking, but the Mavs just, they, they can't be healthy. And if you look at Gafford, so, so far this season, he's missed five games. All of last season, he missed four. The year before that, four. The year before that, six. So if you look at basically three and a half seasons worth of games, Gafford has missed 19 games. That's durable. That is someone you can rely on. That is someone where when Derek Lively has to have a surgery on his nose because he got hit during a game, Gafford steps in and now is playing 25, 30 minutes a night. When Lively's back, Gafford goes down to 15 to 20. And he's there. You can rely on him. He's not someone who, I mean, a lot of, a lot of injury things are luck, but Gafford in his season, in his career, he has been a durable, healthy option at the center position. What it means when Lively plays, when Lively and Gafford both play is the Mavs will always have a legitimate center on the floor. Always. If you've watched even the games when Lively's played this year, like think recently, how reliant have the Mavs been on Derek Lively? Like he is the, the amount of minutes that he's been playing. He played 41 minutes um, in his last game against Orlando, 31 minutes against Sacramento. I mean, you're asking your center to play 40 minutes. That's not sustainable. And so now you don't have to do that because now you have Gafford. So Lively can come off. Dafford comes on and you always have one of them on the floor at all times. That's huge. Now you've got rim protection hundred percent of the time, all 48 minutes. You've got a rim protector, all 48 minutes. You've got a shot blocker, all 48 minutes. You've got a legit rebounder. The Mavs haven't had that since, I don't know, Tyson Chandler years when you actually had like a center rotation you could rely on. I mean, God bless Dwight Powell. I love him to death. Uh, he's been a great Maverick, but He's not going to be playing meaningful minutes for this team anymore, which makes his team better. It, it just does. Um, all right. So what is what what does all this mean for the season? The Mavs made what three total trades if you count the pick swap to acquire the first from Oklahoma City that they they could then ship off to Washington for Daniel Gafford. What does all this mean for this season? The Mavs are significantly better than they were 24 hours ago. They just are. They have more depth at every position. Now, if you think about think about like how nice of pickups Derek Jones Jr. and Dante Exum have been. Well, now you're not overextending them in these games. Now you're not relying so much on them to defend the other team's best player, to exert themselves so much on defense, but then also hit the open shots uh, when they come on offense. Now you add PJ Washington into the mold who can help on the defensive end who can do some shot creation, who can take some of that offensive load, not only off of the other wings, but can take some of the offensive load off of Luca and Kyrie. Because if Luca and Kyrie are both on the floor, you're always going to have shot creation. But if just one of them's on the floor, 
let's say it's Luca. Let's say, you know, let's say Kyrie is hurt or whatever, and it's it's Luca and it's PJ Washington, and then you've got, you know, Derek Jones Jr., uh Dante Axum, and maybe Lively. Let's say there's five seconds left on the shot clock, and the team's trapped Luca, they've doubled him, he's not gonna have a shot. Before he didn't really have anyone to go to. It was maybe throw it off to Lively and see if he can make something happen, you know, in the paint. Maybe you dish it off to Derek Jones Jr. and see if he can get lucky. But now he can dish it off to P.J. Washington. He can put the ball on the floor. He can, you know, cross a dude up and and take a, get a good look for himself. Or P.J. Washington gets the ball, drives to the rim. Now you've got the double team on Luka in this scenario, right? So now you're playing four on three. P.J. Washington drives to the rim, either gets a good look, or now he's got an open outlet in the corner that he can he can pass it to. The, the options at having another score on this team, another shot creator on this team, the options that that gives you is just amazing. This, like, okay, travel back in time with me for a little bit. Think back to 2019, to that Raptors team that won the title, that had Kawhi on it. Every single player that played um, in those playoffs could create their own shot. Whether it was Kawhi, whether it was Fred Van Vliet, or Kyle Lowry, or Siakam, even Gasol, like every single player who played could create their own shot, which cre- gives you a big advantage on the offensive end because now you're not predictable. Now the other team they they can't get into their set and they can run they can run their switches and their rotations and contest your shot. Now every single person on the floor is a threat. And the Mavs, the Mavs could roll out a, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how often they're going to do it, but if they want to do a small ball lineup and it's Luca, Kyrie, Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Green, and PJ Washington, you can only do that if you're playing small, but I mean, I mentioned the wingspan of PJ Washington, so he could be like a small ball five in this scenario. If you roll all five of those guys out on the floor at the same time, all five of them can create their own shot. All five of them can score in every level. And that is a menace to defend if you're the other team. So the Mavs are significantly better this season. They have significantly more lineup flexibility. And they're more dynamic on both ends because I've talked a lot about the offensive side, but you're better on defense now with Gafford and with Washington. Washington's a better defender than Grant Williams. And Gafford is a better rim protector and defender the center position than whoever the backup has been this year, whether it's Dwight Powell, whether it's Rashawn Holmes, whoever the Mavs are just better top to bottom. Um, final thoughts here. So, I mean, it's hard not to, I mean, it's hard not to be impressed with the Mavs, uh, deadline. Like they, they knocked it out of the park. I, the Knicks are going to get a lot of praise and they should, cause the Knicks had a really good deadline, but I think the Mavs probably had the second best. Uh, the Mavs went from a team that was seemed like they were destined to be like a play-in team to where now they're a legit playoff team. And whoever of those top four teams the Mavs play in the playoffs, whether it's the Clippers, the Timberwolves, the Nuggets, or the Thunder, none of those four teams are going to want to play Dallas now. I promise you. Dallas will be the hardest out of the lower seeds because I don't think Record-wise, I don't know if the Mavs can crack that top four because of the distance right now in the standings. 
they would they would need you know significant movement both for them up and one of those four to drop. I don't know if it's going to happen. Even if it doesn't, none of those four teams like Dallas will be the hardest out. They will be the team that no one wants to play in the playoffs. And you get into a playoff series, you have Luca and Kyrie as your top two, and then you've got all this length to throw at the opposing team. I wouldn't want to play them. I wouldn't want to play them if I'm Denver, if I'm Minnesota, if I'm Oklahoma City, if I'm the Clippers. I no thank you. So uh, the Mavs not only improved for this year, but also for the next several years because I mentioned the contracts on both Gafford and Washington. Um, they don't have a they don't have a big hole on this roster anymore, which which is really really nice. And Finally, I'll end with hold, with the Grant Williams stuff, and I'm sure Alex and I will talk more about it on Monday night. But uh, I don't know. You you think about why it didn't work out with Grant Williams in Dallas, and honestly, I think what it was is he was not asked to do a lot in Boston. He was a he was a he was he was legitimately a role player, a rotation guy, and the Mavs were hoping that. He could take the production he had on the limited usage in Boston and maintain that production with more usage in Dallas. Take on a bigger role. Take on a bigger responsibility. Be your quote-unquote defensive anchor. And anytime you ask that of a player, you run the risk. Not just in basketball, in all sports. You know, if a guy is a wide receiver three on a really good team, signs a big contract with a, you know, middle of the pack team to be their number one, you always run the risk of him not performing at that same level now that he's getting all the attention. And I think that's what you saw in Grant Williams. He was not able to handle the extra responsibility. Uh, it just didn't work out. Uh, the one thing I will applaud the Mavs on regarding the whole Grant Williams thing is they tried, they swung, you know, you're not always going to hit a home run. They, they went for it with him. And they were not afraid to admit that it didn't work. You know, you can see some of these front offices. They're like, well, no, I vouched for Grant Williams. Like I, I convinced ownership to go do that sign and trade. So like, we're going to force minutes down his throat. We're going to try to get this to work. And Nico Harrison and the Mavs brain trust said, nope, didn't work. Let's move on. Let's try something else. And they were able to do that. They were able to get PJ Washington without giving up Josh Green, which Charlotte really wanted, uh, so great work by Nico. Uh, great work by the Mavs. Great deadline. Uh, we'll talk more about it on Monday with Alex. I just wanted to hop on, kind of give you my instant reactions. Um, but yeah, so great deadline by the Mavs. Uh, that's going to do it for this uh, emergency podcast. I'm making the call. Uh, I hope everyone has a fantastic rest of your week going into the weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl and we will see you next time.